Hi, and welcome to Season of the Bitch, the podcast that'd like to know why you'd want a statue of an anonymous Confederate soldier when you could have one of Ida B. Wells. Or Emma Goldman. Or Kellen's dad, Terry Crews. <laughs> <laughs> Today we have Kellen, Laura, and Hope, and we are talking about Silent Sam, um, and our our guests this week are super amazing, super knowledgeable. They're going to tell us all about the Silent Sam controversy that's going on right now at UNC Chapel Hill. Um, just as a little, little teaser, uh, this story has everything. It's got racism. It's got police violence. It's got austerity politics. It's got uh, labor disputes. It's got mm, people not being paid living wages. Um, you want to yeah. get mad? Stay tuned. <laughs> you came to the right place. <laughs> um, so with no further ado, uh, let's take it away. We are joined this week by a couple of awesome student activists from UNC. So um, would y'all mind introducing yourselves? Um, maybe starting with Danielle? Uh, yeah. Uh, hey, my name is Danielle. I'm a third year PhD candidate uh, at Chapel Hill. Um, and I've been on campus and participating in movements, I would say, for, since I've been there. Um, yeah. Yay, welcome. Hey. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I'm Alyssa Bowen. I'm a fifth year PhD candidate in the history department. Um, and I've been involved specifically in the Silent Sam movement for about a year and a half. Um, yeah. And it's really been a wild ride. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sure some of the people listening are familiar with the Silent Sam just whole thing. Um, but I bet a lot of people don't know that much about it. So let's just talk Silent Sam. Who is he and why is there a statue of him on UNC Chapel Hill's campus? Sure. Um, Silent Sam is the statue of an anonymous Confederate soldier and it sits at the entrance to UNC's campus. You kind of have to pass by it to get to classes. Um, it was built in 1913. Um, a lot of times, um, People claim that the statue was about heritage, not hate, um, but uh, it was constructed uh, in a very hateful time. Um, it was constructed in uh, 1913, and the, the 19-teens were marked by the 50th anniversary of the Civil War. And so this is a period where there was um, amped up efforts to withdraw gains that the Black community received after the war. So you had, like, for example, a record number of lynchings in 1919, um, that, that racist movie, The Birth of a Nation, was created, um, and there was a reinvigoration of the KKK during this time. Um, and also just thinking about the people surrounding uh, the creation of Silent Sam, um, the United Daughters of the Confederacy, uh, which is the group that celebrated Confederate soldiers as, quote, the real Ku Klux Klan, uh, <laughs> began ma mass-producing these statues at this time, including Silent Sam, um, and placing them in spaces of public prominence to kind of intimidate black folks um, and um, just to kind of drive home the way that Silent Sam was always intended to represent white supremacy. Uh, in his dedication speech to the statue, Julian Carr, who is a local businessman and philanthropist and also a white supremacist, 
referred to whipping a, quote, Negro wench in front of federal soldiers for insulting, quote, a Southern lady. So it it was very clearly designed um, to kind of alienate the black people of our members of our community. Can I just go back to really quickly? Did you say it's meant to be um, heritage, not hate? (laughs) <laughs> that's something that you know the the confederate pro-confederate uh protesters come with their signs like this is about heritage not hate it's about our southern heritage and our families who fought in the war um but if you look at like the historical context of the statue it's really pretty clear that it is about hate right yeah i feel like this is the rhetoric we've seen like over and over again like particularly when it comes to anything related to the confederacy and it's it's been really interesting how how this language is really used and mm-hmm. how ridiculous it actually is when you start to un, unpack it. So I just wanted to be like, wait, why? Why are people saying that? I, actually, I don't even understand that because this is an anonymous soldier. So it's not even like a historical figure. Mm-hmm. So it seems even more of a stretch to me to to claim that there's like some specific historical remembrance that we need about this particular statue. Mm-hmm. It's like, it kind of makes me think I live in the Midwest and like whenever we see Confederate flags up here, we're always just like, you're just racist. That's not, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, what's, it's, what's, what's point, what's uh, important is that like that heritage is one of hate because of mm-hmm. what was bound up in all of that, that that was a movement from the Confederacy in which States made claims that they were, invested in their economic gains and that economic gain was deeply tied to chattel slavery um Mm. you know this was the plantation south so i think that even though people will say well you know my family wasn't and this is about a cultural history well that cultural history is so complexly and intimately bound to what what what, yeah was america's um chattel slavery system so i think that like to break that to say that like you know Sure, it can be about heritage, but that heritage is about hate. Mm -hmm. And I also feel like anytime like someone's any like white person's family being like my family didn't do that is like the same fucking shit as being like not all men. It's like it doesn't matter. Like the lineage of whiteness is lynching is like the this like hateful like perpetuator of this systemic issue so like to detach ourselves from that is its own issue as well right and you benefit oh sorry and you benefit like you benefit from your ancestors connection to slavery like they passed down this money to you and that gave you benefits above people of color and there's really no escaping that yeah and even if you didn't even if your family wasn't tied to a plantation system and were poor Mm -hmm. farmers or sharecroppers or that sort of thing there, of course you can go to like the wages of whiteness and think Mm -hmm. about how that's Mm -hmm. all tied up in this as well. And one point I wanted to quickly make, and I don't know if it needs clarification because of the position that we're in right now, but when we were talking about silent Sam, that he did stand on campus, he is down. Um, Mm. So yeah, I think that's kind of, no, no, no. I mean, I think (laughs) we we're very familiar with that because this is a really recent event. Um, But a lot of student activists, grassroots student activists um, worked, you know, really hard to make that happen. Yeah, Yeah. I was, I was going to ask about that. So Silent Sam was toppled this summer, right? Can Mm -hmm. you tell us the story behind that? Yeah, we've been 
doing various actions for a year and a half um, and none of those were successful. And we can talk about that a little later if you want, but um, none of those were successful. And um, we were, you know, my little did an action in April where she put her own blood and uh, red paint on Silent Sam in order to contextualize the the statue and, and show folks how literally red, uh, um, black blood has been spilt in like service of white supremacy at UNC. And, um, we, we created a rally, uh, in solidarity with Maya and there are these amazing, uh, kind of placards, like, I don't even know how tall, like 40 feet tall, um, that people were, were carrying around and kind of putting in front of silent Sam that had like all of the black folks and anti-racist activists who had been um, killed uh, locally um, since the statue had been put up and in the history mm-hmm. of, of UNC. And um, those were placed over Silent Sam. And then we did a march on um, on Franklin Street, which is a major street uh, in front of UNC. And um, eventually, yeah, some activists pulled down Silent Sam and like the screams I actually wasn't at that protest, but the screams from the videos, like um, that that <laughs> recorded the toppling, it was like bone yeah. chilling. You were like, "Oh yeah. my god, these people yes. have been struggling and- so hard," and and like the the sound of them like realizing that they had finally toppled Silent Sam was like, I don't know, I had chills all over my body. Yeah, and I was there, and I can speak to that after being on the ground that night. And also um, to add to on top of this like really important and sort of like escalated movement building that had been happening specifically from what I can tell, like within graduate students um, in the history department, um, you know, this has a really long tradition of protest. Like it dates mm-hmm. back to like the 60s. Like there have been every, many of the strikes on campus have used Silent Sam as a moment to sort of say like mm-hmm. this symbolically demonstrates to us how little you value um, black and, and other POC people on this space and like while at the same time continually extracting our labor mm-hmm. um, and, and and like workers too a majority workers on campus yeah. are black so mm-hmm. it doesn't it didn't end and it continues to go on um, yeah and that's something like we've had a problem that's another large problem we have in this movement is that there's a ton of commemoration of uh, folks who upheld white supremacy locally so we have uh, you know, I, th- I forgot the Daily Tar Heel, our newspaper came out with a figure of like 30 buildings that are named after former KKK members. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have the Keenan, William Keenan Sr. Memorial or um, Stadium. And that was uh, uh, funded by uh, a white supremacist who led a militia that mowed down black people in the Wilmington Massacre of 1898 where they overthrew a democratically elected fusion government of black folks and white folks. Um, it was essentially the fir- or the only successful uh, uh, governmental coup in U.S. history. And this, our stadium was named after um, the man who led the coup. Oh and yeah, yeah so, so UNC has this like really terrible problem of commemorating these figures who, uh, who are dedicated to white supremacy. And there's 
zero room in this commemorative landscape for folks who have opposed white supremacy. Mm. And, and as I, and Daniel I, said, okay. uh, oh, sorry, just as Daniel said, there's this long history that we could talk about of opposition to Silent Sam on campus that has been entirely forgotten, you know, in the commemorative landscape. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think, too, what's important to recognize is that while UNC is <laughs> deeply unique in the sort of levels and landscape of abuse that I would also say that a lot of other universities are complicit in this as well. Mm -hmm. And I think what stands true for me is that UNC has had the most milquetoast, weak cowardice about this entire history. I mean, I think we can look to like Brown University, which I don't know if it's how long it's been now, maybe 10 years where they released that really provocative statement in terms of reparations and mm. talking through these different in terms of like, you know, and then Georgetown, I think like four or five years ago, made the statement that, that it, it would have free tuition for descendants of enslaved people who were part mm -hmm. of um, the process. And and um, I think UNC's just like strongholding of white supremacy in all of this has been just um, obviously disgusting and just mm -hmm. something when you see other universities, though some of them are private, um, handling this and then you see how UNC is just so um, enabled to release that or take any sort of blame or anything. Um, it's deeply concerning. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead, please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I, I'm really always curious. I mean, it's, it's not, um, it's abhorrent no matter what, but I'm really always interested because we live in a fucking hellscape, like how these white <laughs> supremacists, like the way in which they use language to their advantage. And so I'm, I'm really curious and I'm hoping y'all can explain a little bit the way that the campus has been rationalizing defending this white supremacist symbol. And like, I know you spoke a little bit about heritage over hate, but like I, I read a couple of the articles about, um, you know, the, the language that the administrators are using about it. And I, I just, I think it's interesting to kind of like open that up just so that we can be like, I guess, like demystify that language when we see it. And, and mm -hmm. because it's not right. I mean, like in this moment, it's about this specific thing, but we see it all over the country in a bunch of different ways when people are using a lot of like masked language to rationalize this white supremacy. Laura, can I jump in here real mm -hmm. quick and add to that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, if y'all could also, I think, in talking about the rationalization, it's also important to discuss the particular um, legal situation in North Carolina mm -hmm. yeah. um, with regards yeah. to what uh, has been legislated um, with respect to Confederate monuments and taking them down. Mm -hmm. um, so like Laura said, there's a lot that is universal, but there's also some very... Um, I guess interesting is maybe a polite word, unique things going on <laughs> in the up. state as well right now. <laughs> um, well, I'd say, yeah, the legal, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's all um, pretty complicated. But um, so a lot of the justification that the administration has been using for not being able to move Silent Sam is uh, this... 2015 law passed by the legislature um, that said that you're not allowed to move commemorative statues and, and figures um, that are on state grounds. And 
but I mean, and the, the legislature is complicit in a lot of like very anti-democratic um, uh, pushes here. But um, I mean, Chancellor Fult was chancellor before the before this law was passed she could she had two years before this to move the statue if she really was dedicated to it and she did mm -hmm. say she was against the statue being on campus and she did say she thought it was represented white supremacy but still she did nothing and then this law was passed and now the administration is saying their hands are tied and that the um that they cannot remove the statue legally, even though some fa some of the faculty in the School of Law have said, no, there's, there's some justification, definitely wiggle room in the language of the law to allow for this statue to come down. Uh, and also Governor Cooper gave uh, uh, President Margaret Spellings uh, an out last year saying that um, there's a, a part of the statute that says that if it presents a public danger, then you're allowed to take it down. And he told them it that could be considered true, and they cho chose to dis disregard. So, um, like they are, they use this language, or they kind of hide behind this this 2015 law. But really, they could take initiatives that would make it legal to move, and they just haven't. Mm. And I think Alyssa and I were talking about this before, but there's also if you know if for folks that are familiar with law that like you can use other laws to demonstrate mm. that other laws um don't stand up and i think that what was the law that has been invoked in conversations um, i think it's title six but it's uh the law that says well there there are some legal scholars that say that uh silent sam uh violates uh law stating that um, you need to create a racially welcoming, welcoming environment, like study and work environments. And so they're creating a racially hostile uh, work and study environments. So they are, uh, they are actually violating laws uh, and violating like the rights of people of color and uh, like workers of color and students of color and faculty of color on campus. Mm. <laughs> Hearing all of that and then um, from what I was reading before we did this episode, I was wondering kind of if you all can speak to a little bit how the community outside of the university feels about it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you want to, one thing I do want to say that's important that I think we've been trying to really emphasize is that, you know, the, the people that have been in this movement, I think Alyssa especially and, and folks that Alyssa's close, close with, um, you know, are from UNC. And so, but there's also been collaboration with a lot of great uh, grassroots folks in Durham mm -hmm. um, that have been really critical in sort of um, different actions that have happened recently. So there's a group, Do It Like Durham, that's been really amazing to us. Um, yeah. Um, but, I, but I also, I say that with caution because I also want to be clear that like this is coming from students um, and this whole uh, false narrative of outside agitators to try to push back yes. on that, mm, yes. um, which is right. something that gets picked up um, to try to, I guess, make people believe that <laughs> we're not competent or that their cherished university could have any sort of critique of itself. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, that's, yeah, that's such a such a classic um, line to use. Yep. Um, yeah. I mean, talking about sort of discrediting leftist organizing anywhere, but there's a particularly uh, sort of pernicious history there, thinking yeah. about leftists organizing in anti-racist spaces in the South um, and the way that's been yeah. painted as like 
you know, uh, communist northern agitators or communist mm. agitators from outside the, the community causing trouble where in reality, you know, things are peaceful between the blacks and the whites because the yes. local black people know their place. It's just yeah. like, it's like yes. a tale as old as time. Yeah, yeah there was yeah. A, a, a history graduate student just wrote a Facebook post exactly like that, like showing the long history of this outside agitator rhetoric and how mm. it's like very much tied to racial struggles, that this was mm. always a tactic by people who wanted black folks to stay in their place by saying that, these are nice black folks. They don't know what they're doing. They're naive, whatever. And there's these outside agitators coming, whispering in their ear and kind of creating these racial tensions. Mm. And so it is like very much racist, a racist um, kind of rhetoric to use. And it has a long history, as you said, of like, um, like othering leftists and activists. Yeah, absolutely. But then to um, speak more broadly to the community too, like I'm, I'm um, born and raised in Western North Carolina. I went to one of the UNC system schools out here, uh, Western Carolina, and mm-hmm. um, have been like sort of, you know, in this com- in the Western North Carolina community for a long time, and more recently in the Triangle area. And I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I think that the broader state response is that, like, I think there's a lot too about the um, fiscal amount. I think that's really jarring to a lot of people. And I think a lot of people want clarity about the implications of this statewide because this is a university system. Mm-hmm. So this sort of action has ripple effects across. If um, I could just, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. If I could just say too, because I mean, yeah, there are these Durham folks that are are helping now, but there are very local folks that have been helping throughout this process, like that actually were participating in the sit-in and things. Um, like we have WILP, the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom. They're like, and they're kind of associated with the Raging Grannies. So they're they're like old civil rights ah, folks. Um, awesome. They've been like super involved. Yeah. Um, and like the NAACP is, has been like pretty helpful um, at times. And um, there are members of, I mean, one specific member of the faculty who uh, has been super helpful. And so, um, and, and these are, these are local community folks and they've come, they've stepped up and, and like really been there with us the whole time as well. So there is support actually from, from the local community. That being said, like the surrounding kind of more rural parts of North Carolina is where some of the um, like neo-Confederates have come from. So Mm -hmm. there's like certainly in North Carolina, um, we don't feel like there's necessarily support for what we're doing like more broadly. Yeah. I mean, it's, but it is, I will say, and I think this, this is where my perspective comes from being in Southern Appalachia, this part of West Mm -hmm. North Carolina, where there Mm -hmm. is even in rural towns like Canton, like, is it all yeah. run down paper mill? There's a lot of, of leftist organizing. So yeah, I want to yeah. recognize that true yes, rural yes. spaces are also can be hotbeds for um, conservative movement building. But there's also, um, you know, the Highlander Center in Tennessee, mm-hmm. um, which is where civil rights activists trained. And I think that a lot of organizers in West North Carolina, especially in the Latinx community that are migrant farm workers um, are in these, you know, there's a little town called Emma and they're doing some of the most important mobilizing in the rural spaces here. Yeah, um, thank and, you, Danielle. No, I just, I mean, it's also my dissertation research. So, <laughs> <I just haven't. laughs> um, so yeah, so to say that like, that there's complexity there too and that there is support. I know that um, at rallies, I will see people from Asheville at UNC. So mm. I think that um, there is a statewide solidarity. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, and thinking about the points that were raised about sort of out blaming outside agitators and what the culture of sort of dissent and protest is like, 
I read um, in my research for this that there was proof released that the university's police department used an undercover officer to gather <laughs> information and infiltrate. And I was just curious from your perspective, did that have any effect on anything or did you feel like organizers pretty much just expect that at this point? I mean, I think whenever you're organizing, there's always like a suspicion that that could be happening. And in hindsight, people were like, yeah, this was a suspicious figure who he just came from nowhere pretending to be a mechanic from Carborough or something. And, but uh, I actually think that it created a lot of animosity. And there was, I think, a lot of surprise that the university would go that far. And that was really early in the movement. We, it was a super peaceful movement. We, we, um, or I wasn't there actually, but other folks that created the sit-in um, just uh, kind of grassroots came came together and and said we're gonna sit here until uh, we uh, have like can kind of reach the ear of the university um, and um, to see that they took that to such a level to surveil us and spy on us uh, with using a police officer was really shocking to people. I mean, and that was maybe the first thing that got a lot of media attention when we released it on Twitter. Um, and it showed us really what the interests of the university were. They had no interest and they made that clear uh, pretty quickly in even uh, talking with us. I mean, we, if I could talk for a minute about like all of the different strategies that we've used before the statue was pulled down just yes, to kind of, please. Okay. Yeah, yeah thank absolutely. You. Thank you. Um, so just like historically, we said, this is, we're at the 50th anniversary of kind of the first action against silent Sam. Um, but in 1968 uh, was the first time that silent Sam was, you know, quote unquote vandalized. Uh, and that was the anniversary of MLK's assassination, or that was, sorry, the, the day of MLK's assassination, or maybe it was like two Jesus. days after. Um, but there's this really long history of organizing. Um, uh, for example, there was a um, uh, black worker, like part, part of the black worker union, uh, which was UE 150A, I think a, a long time ago, it was the housekeepers union. It was predominantly black women that were organizing. They started their rallies, like they would come and rally and they would start their rallies at, um, at the statue because it was a symbol of white supremacy and they called it that. So critics of our movement uh, pulling to, for when we pulled down the statue or for when now when we're taking this action uh, by withdrawing grades say that these tactics are kind of extreme. But I just want to kind of go through the various ways that we have tried to get the ear of the university and um, talk about uh, the kind of white supremacist uh, origins and the violence it does to people of color on campus today um, because it has a long history. Uh, actually, it's we, it's 50 years this year uh, that the first action against Silent Sam was done that we know of, um, and that was it was spray painted in 1968. I think two or three days after MLK's assassination. Mm, um, and uh, but then there was a, also a lot of action that followed, um, and predominantly by uh, Black members of our community. 
Um, for example, the Black Student Movement um, in Chapel Hill had a protest in 1970 to commem commemorate these two individuals who have been brought up uh, more recently, actually, because they're very important uh, to our struggle and kind of represent why we're doing this. Uh, James Cates, who was a Black man murdered in UNC's pit by members of a white supremacist gang, uh, and then UNC police wouldn't allow his friends to bring him to the hospital, so he died. Um, and then William Murphy, a black man who was shot by highway patrolmen uh, near Aiden, North Carolina. So that was like a major movement. And we've kind of tried to reinvigor re reinvigorate the, the memory of those folks. Um, and then during the L.A. race riots, there was another mobilization in 1992 um, by the black student movement. And they led a march to silence Sam. Um, more recently, in 2011, the Real Silent Sam Coalition began and they were very similar to us, um, interested in these questions of commemoration. And so they, for example, uh, put a fake plaque to the side of Silent Sam to contextualize its racist history. But they were, they're like most successfully, uh, they were most successful in the renaming of Saunders Hall, which was originally named after this 19th century Ku Klux Klan leader, uh, William Saunders. Um, they tried to rename it Hurston Hall to honor UNC alumnus Zora Neale Hurston, but the, the administration wouldn't allow it. And so they settled on this like seemingly neutral Carolina Hall. Um, mm. And so they were like the real impetus, I think, for our contemporary movement. Um, but just like to talk about the things that we've done in the past year and a half, um, we have, Silent Sam activists have distributed informational flyers to passers-by during sports games to give context. We've created temporary placards around the statue to give context as if it were a museum. Uh, UNC police ripped those up and threw them in the trash. Um, we um, had uh, this thing called a uh, boycott UNC. So it was a boycott against commercial goods on campus. And we had like local campus uh, support for that. So Nour Nourish UNC, this campus-wide affiliated group, gave affordable food to boycotters. Um, but the, but Chancellor Full actually, like we found in these FOIA documents, said to shut shut Nourish down immediately for lack of permits. Oh my god! So Nourish actually gave us the food for free, and that didn't seemingly violate anything. Um, and then we've also attended month, uh, public, public comment section of UNC's Board of Governors asking the statue be removed and like so many folks from the community have done this and the intention of this is the Board of Governors is supposed to respond they haven't responded since May of 2017 oh, um, yeah and then we've had like so many academic departments issue statements to administrators openly opposing Silent Sam um, different UNC historians have written op-eds appealing to the university to remove the statue. Um, and then, you know, we had Maya's action in uh, April of 2018, where she uh, put her blood and red paint on Silent Sam. Um, so we've, like, tried a ton of things before we resorted to these, like, seemingly more drastic actions, like um, putting uh, red paint and blood on the statue and now our most recent recent action um, of withholding grades. And so it, it wasn't just, like, we jumped to that. We, we really tried a lot of tactics first. Right. And I would also even include the removal of the statue. Like, we removed it. Like, we mm, yeah. made it so that, you know, we're like, fine. Like, no one's dealing with this. You know, whereas in, at Duke University, again, a private institution, but they 
simply took a statue they had, I believe it was Robert E. Lee, and just like tucked it away. And no mm-hmm. one, you know, it, it, it was not this sort of like cultural war like you see happening at UNC. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that this, we, you know, we did what they couldn't do. Yeah. Um, and even and like University I, of Texas has, has like voluntarily took all their Confederate statues down and that, you know, um, that's where our now uh, president Margaret Spellings is originally from and now she's going back to. So it's like not unheard of, of like Southern state schools all, either to voluntarily do this. Yeah, I, that's a great point. Thanks. And I also wanted to say too the part about the being infiltrated. I think that that sort of, for me as someone who wasn't as involved in this movement on campus at that moment, signals to me a moment in which the police brutality really took um, mm. and you could probably speak more to this, Alyssa, but for me, um, who is someone who's more witnessing that, that was in my mind, sort of a shifting point, um, for police brutality. So there was the infiltration, which in itself is sort of an act of violence. Um, mm. and then, um, escalating tactics in which students having been at protests, um, watching uh, this past semester. So being at the sort of the pulling down of, um, there was a lot of backlash that said, you know, police didn't stop them. Police let this happen. And I don't know if that language has since been used to really mobilize a sort of violent tone and behavior on the police force. But since the statue was removed, there have been ongoing um, sort of actions around that space and which have resulted in students being, um, and these actions are related to the fact that white supremacists get access to the stump Mm -hmm. um, to protest on campus. And by that, I mean that people who have uh, 3% or tattoos, people that are proudly carrying um, Confederate flags, and they mean them in the sense of white supremacist ideology. Again, I don't think that's up for debate, but they very clearly mean it that way. Um, They get a special pen on the center by the stump. They are guarded by police. and we are told to stay away and that we, you know, if, if, and I think things get pulled from our hands like signs that could be see, seen as uh, weapons, maybe. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But so in these moments since the removal, the police have, uh, I've, wa- I've watched them have SWAT teams with riot gear. They're, they'll hide inside of a building called McCorkle. They'll run out and they'll grab protesters and hold them on the ground. And these are students, right? So you see students in chokeholds. At the same time, they've administered smoke bombs. Um, at one, in one instance, the smoke bomb was not deployed purposely, so it created ruckus among the amongst the police oh, because geez. they then thought that we had, and it showed us that like they're so incompetent that one of us could die because of police brutality because mm-hmm. of their incompetence. It mm-hmm. also became clear that one of the police officers has a three percenter tattoo on his arm. Mm. Um, oh, okay. So, you know, there's, and and yeah. also there was a moment, uh, and these are police officers that are university officers, they're city officers and they're our town officers. Mm-hmm. And they're also pulling in officers from other towns like Greensboro. Mm-hmm. And I think a Greensboro officer uh, pepper sprayed or tear, gra- tear gassed a student in the face um, recently. And there's video footage of that as well. I know we're going to go in in a moment to a little bit why we're calling um, what y'all are doing in action and not a strike. But just on this point specifically, um, I know that there's a whole proposal going into place that's kind of surrounds all of these issues. And within that proposal, there's some fucked up pieces with regards to (laughs) 
um, yeah. like increasing funding to the police on campus. And so I guess like related to what you were just saying, what, what are, I mean, I, it seems like kind of like a self-explanatory question, but I guess like, what does that mean for the protesters on the ground? And, and what, what is there any, has there been any meaningful ways oh, that it, y'all can it, like, it, push back on that? Yeah, I mean, it deeply says to us, and Alyssa, you can speak to this too, that like this is a militarized site. Like mm. this is an apparatus mm. of the militarized state. Like this is a space that is deeply anti-activist. Peaceful protest is not permitted mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. I think what's also significant is so like this the, this shift towards a really violent militarized police force. I mean, to be on your own campus and have police in riot gear running out of a building and snatching students. Um, I think it's one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen um, in protest spaces. Um, And so knowing that there's a mobile unit that was actually at the most recent protest that was really that happened after this announcement. It's like a big bus. There is a bus. I know that there's also maybe funding for another bus. Um, But that the the mobility of it, I think, is significant, too, because Mm -hmm. it shows this like surveillance of not only UNC, but other state schools. It's a crackdown to say, like, no, no peaceful protest is welcome. In fact, we are now going to deploy units all across the state to make sure of it and quell that. And I think what's significant is that this proposal of this, and we're not talking about a museum where a, mon- a monument is being put into, we're talking about a museum being deliberately built to ensconce a, a white supremacist statue. Mm-hmm. And around this museum, there's a buffer zone that's a private buffer zone and the same way that at abortion clinics there's the the private buffer zone to keep people safe Mm -hmm. so that protesters can't attack them well they're they're using buffer zone laws to create a space where activists can't be at that site Mm -hmm. um and so and they have police too that are will be paid to monitor um the white supremacist fucking castle shrine whatever you want to call it and just for clarity how much is this gonna cost there's two million dollars proposed to go no it's five 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 million oh my god five five point two million eight hundred thousand dollars a year after that that's the annual operating cost and that's yeah and so i think in like what like five years time that's almost ten million dollars and counting Right. And then it's two million for this mobile security force plus five hundred thousand dollars in equipment. Yeah, and it, so is the extravagance and, of this related to the law and having to? Because I think the specific language of the law is that it has to be in sort like a place that has the same amount of like mm-hmm, honor and priority mm-hmm. prominence. So yeah, so is that the like the motivator behind this being so extravagant? I think that they thought this would appease the Board of Governors because the Board of Governors is incredibly conservative. It's called the Board of Governors because the governor is supposed to select them. But going back to this like discussion of the legislature, uh, when a Democratic governor was elected, Roy Cooper, um, he, they had an emergency legislative session to change the law so that the governor was less powerful. And so now it's the legislature that predominantly decides who's on the board of governors. Um, it's the stuff that happened I, in Wisconsin. I, yeah, exactly. In North Carolina. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's also... Um, the, I think that it's also about the people who designed this structure. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, yeah. So they called in uh, ex-military. So people who have deep ties into sort of federal and state militarized activity. 
And I think it also is worth mentioning that the United Daughters of the Confederacy were absolutely contacted. So they're appeasing them. It's being designed by military people with military backgrounds. And I think another meeting that has not gained as much attention as maybe is worth noticing is that um, I think his name is Robert George, and it's from the James Madison Program of American Ideals, and it's at Princeton. And I know, and this is a- Oh, Robbie George. Yeah. Yeah, classic. Yeah, (laughs) so Robbie George had a meeting uh, with UNC uh, like a couple months ago, and I don't think that, I think that it would be ignorant to think that that him coming down here and that this proposal- are not related. Oh my God. Yeah. I had no idea Robbie George was involved. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I can't speak to that, but I know that he did have a meeting. He had a meeting right when, and this is also worth mentioning too, that the um, UNC Law Center for Poverty, Alyssa, is that what it's called? Poverty Law Center. The, yeah. yeah, the Poverty Law Center. Or, I, or I Center for Poverty, I'm not sure. <laughs> but it was a um, sort of a... Um, it was a, some, a, a school within the, I don't know mm. enough about the loss or legal terms, but it was a, a group within them that was working on sort of poverty law and all that kind of stuff and was shut down and all their funding pulled. Um, By the governor. Yeah, it was a, before engaging in the Moral Monday stuff, I think, is what it was. Like they were engaging in the Moral Monday protest, which, you know, if your listeners don't know, is... Um, uh, this action that's been going on for quite a while uh, at the Capitol building to, um, I guess, protest again. Actually, Danielle, you probably know more about this than I do. But um, these, um, the Center for Poverty, the leadership was really active in the Moral Mondays, and it was opposing the the governor and the legislature and uh, some of their more like violent actions towards uh, poor poor folks uh, in North Carolina. And like the defunding, it was so anti-free speech. It was the defunding of this center for poverty was tied to um, like opposition to the governor. And the the Moral Mondays thing to to bring it to listeners who maybe aren't as familiar with North Carolina <laughs> as some of the people on this uh, podcast are right now. Yeah. Um, the leader of the Moral Mondays was William Barber, who's now in you know in, in charge of the um, Poor People's Campaign, the Reinvigorated Poor People's Campaign, um, which probably a lot of our listeners are familiar from. So William mm-hmm. Barber Thanks. first really I think rose to national prominence because he was one of the people spearheading the the Moral Mondays um, campaign campaign that uh, was this sort of massive mobilization of protest against the state legislature and governor in North mm-hmm. Carolina. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> we don't even have to get into the gerrymandering. Right? I oh, I know. It's so it just gets like <laughs> fucked on fucked at that point. Yeah. <laughs> um, so oh, just, could I? Um, oh, go ahead. Could, could I just say also that I'm sure the spending of this money is anticipating the ongoing like mm-hmm. support of funders who actually uh, support Silent Sam and white supremacy, like Art mm-hmm. Pope, for example, who's like one of I think maybe the biggest donor at UNC and is an alum. Yeah. Um, and the Keenan family. And the Keenan family, and so like spending this money to them is also an investment, likely. And we've seen that. Um, before Silent Sam was brought down, even through FOIA requests, that uh, this was a big concern of Chancellor Fultz. There were people writing saying, we donate $200,000 or one hundred dollars or $200,000 yep. a year, and if you don't 
keep st- Silent Sam where it's standing, then we're going to revoke all this funding. And That's Chancellor really Folt would then forward this to the trustees and be like, can you give me a report, like a past funders report? On on how much, yeah, yeah. It's just so fucked because it's like, it's also like the people who have the fucking wealth that has been inherited and passed down. It's like, it's just Mm -hmm. this like amplifying feedback loop of like white supremacy that's just spanned this whole fucking time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Mm -hmm. white powerful men are terrified. Like that's what it is. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, things have Mm -hmm. to stay how they are. They like absolutely must stay how they have and always been and like let me remind you here's a check for 500 grand yeah like for sure so i wanted to because i know we um we're coming close on time here but i wanted to ask y'all like why have you been calling this what you're doing in action and not a strike yeah i'm happy to speak to that too and a little bit more about what's happening right now on the ground Mm -hmm. um i think it's helpful a little bit of context is that um the proposal for this um like sort of like disney world of white supremacy was released (laughs) on monday and monday morning and we mobilized i almost 400 people uh protested Mm -hmm. hit the streets took the streets chanted um, this is Monday, December 3rd, just to, for our listeners. Yes, thank you for that clarification. Um, it was peaceful. Um, it was, you know, we marched, if anyone listeners are familiar with the town of Chapel Hill, we marched down Franklin Street, which is a historically sort of main vein through town. We looped around and back to South Building, which is the administrative building, and then sort of flanked what it was now the Statue of Silent Sam. Um, and we were met with cops, of course, because and cops in riot gear who were protecting um, the stump that remained. They had it in a wooden box. Um, (sighs) And yeah, it was wild to see. So it's like, it's inside of a wooden box, I guess. And so then, you know, they all put on their riot gear as we sort of make the turn, hundreds of us. Mm. And then we start chanting, who do you protect? Who do you serve? Um, You know, Mm -hmm. recognizing their ties to white supremacy. Um, And then moved back to South Building and had some final statements for the administrators. And then the next morning, so at this point, of course, TAs are communicating a huge grassroots effort. And I think Elizabeth's point is really uh, important here. And that is that historically, this had been a space that was really being pushed by a select few of grad students. But I think after Monday's announcement, followed by the momentum of like a 400 person rally, we were all just like, wow, like, what can we do? And Um, I I think the like, uh, sheer numbers, like looking at, they're going to spend $7 million to like between the, you know, uh, shrine to silence Sam and this mobile tactical force to silence us and protect this racist statue all while paying us less than $14,000 a year take home. Right. Yep. And yep. that was like shocking. And people were, have obviously already been very upset about, how little they pay us and how much work we have to do um, as TAs. And Mm -hmm. then this is like a slap in the face. Like none, almost no TAs would be supportive of the, of silent Sam being on campus. And then to see that they're using money that they could use, could use, they have this money to pay us more. And I would say too, they've also recently denied us certain things that we've requested because of financial constraints. And they've also (laughs) made proposals for an increase in our student fees, we pay a thousand dollars in student mm-hmm. fees, and we make like fifteen hundred. So yeah, we take home fourteen after that, and mm-hmm. one and they wanted to increase sixty five dollars um, for building maintenance. Yeah. 
which uh, some of us were like, oh, fuck, are we paying for this? Like, are you making... Yeah. And, and then we started to think it, like, I personally was like, oh, my God, they're literally making us pay for, quote, unquote, having taken down that statue. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so, yeah. And so I think it's also important to say, so, like, we were all inspired in that moment. And then the next day, um, they arrested Maya again on misdemeanor charges for um, inciting a riot, and this is a peaceful protest, and for assaulting an officer. Um, and I saw her the whole night and I didn't, there was no sort of movement around police that would even have it suggested that there was an assault. Um, like no one, you know, if a police officer is assaulted, like mm-hmm. someone gets detained. Um, so this sort of s- s- like struck me and I think other folks that like, they're very serious about ending us. Mm-hmm. Like they don't, they want to snuff out any sort of, um, and seeing Maya as sort of a leader, I took it to mean that, that like, you know, we'll just yeah. throw this sort of fake charge on her. I think they've really been using arresting folks. So when they, every time they arrest someone, they also trespass them from either the whole campus or parts of campus. So this is also very tactical on their part to, and, and after the charges are dropped, which I think every single one of the charges that have brought, been brought before court have been dropped except for one so far. I'm not sure. And there were like dozens and dozens of, of charges brought. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously this is a, a free speech question as well. But um, and kind of like it seems like they're using this to intimidate people. But it's also being used to um, uh, keep us from protesting physically on campus. And it's mm. it's really um, shown where oh, kind of like where their allegiances lie and that their ultimate goal is really just keeping us quiet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, if now is an appropriate time to shift over to sort of the language yeah, behind yeah. this and how we're mobilizing. So I think, yeah, so born out of that, um, we quickly sort of built what I can think best be described as like an action alliance of like. So there's a group of about, um, it started with about a, a group of about 30 of us who I think after that night uh, started immediately messaging each other and being like, what do we do? What do we do? Um, uh, some of us were already talking to faculty to strategize. Um, we met together at a, a private residence of about like 40 people and then has since grown on through communicating on different channels to about 60, maybe 70 people um, through different channels communicating about how to strategize what we now um, are doing, which is an action. It's a, um, so it's a nonviolent anti-racist action of incompleting our transaction with the university because of its unethical and immoral stance. We are Um, doing the grading. Sorry, just to clarify, we're doing the grading. We're just not submitting the grades. So people Mm. are proctoring exams. And this is of course, also, I think it's important to say is case by case. So people, and I think again, to iterate that we're trying to work with faculty. We're trying to work with students. Our intention is not to harm relationships with our advisors. Our intention is to support the students who work so hard and for whom we work so hard for. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're the ones every day in classrooms with them. Mm-hmm. So these are people we care about. We care about, you know, faculty for the most part. Um, <laughs> and, and so I think that we've been trying to work really carefully in conversations with administrators to make sure that you know, if you need someone to proctor an exam, great. But that final transaction that releases the uh, university into phasing into the next semester, that's where we're holding the line. Yes. So that like, yeah, so that we can 
create a logistical nightmare for them. Because imagine, <laughs> yeah. imagine trying to deal with 2,000 un- 2000 unfinished students. And of course, they're changing the tone of the language and putting it back on us to say, well, you don't care about students. What about students who are graduating? And Ugh. and to this that, we're saying... like classic language that's used against teachers who go in similar oh. situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's always... Someone pointed this out. I'm a great uh, historian pointed out that it's always people who are in caring professions yes. yeah. that that language is sort of weaponized. Mm-hmm. And so it's this idea that we're harming students and that we're clear that we're working with students. Students mm-hmm. don't want mm-hmm. the statue either. We're They're yeah. taking their grades. We are grading those grades. And we are talking to administrators about how we can move forward in support of them one way is to meet our demands, mm-hmm. um, right? And so I yeah. think that, like, this is a coalition that's happening across different levels of the university. Um, and, and again, yeah, the idea of action being that we're doing work. Like, this is a lot of work. Yes. Yeah. So it's also important for us uh, that people know that we have many demands, but the only demands that we require in order to submit these grades, uh, final grades for this semester are that the board of trustees withdraw this $5.3 million to build this essentially a shrine to Silent Sam and to uh, create this 40-person police force, uh, is, uh, and instead that they keep the statue off campus and hold a listening session in good faith with the campus community. Though That's all we're requiring. So withdrawing the proposal uh, about building the shrine for Silent Sam and... Um, keeping the statue off campus and meeting with the campus community. It's very, those are like very easy goals to meet. I feel like. Absolutely. And we also, and so then if, I don't know if you'll have taken a look at our demands list, they're on our website, which is um, silencesam.com. And uh, so there we sort of state our demands to, to release grades and we continue that. Um, We have other demands regarding this mobile police force and also regarding um, living wages for workers and uh, and other sort of groups, grad students, et cetera, um, in which we say that like actions will continue um, and we don't know yet what those will look like. So. so this I think leads into our final question for y'all, but what can people do from afar to support your efforts? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Do you have it? Do you want me to answer, Danielle, or you got um, something? <laughs> I mean, I have something. I have some things, and I think Alyssa, you probably have mm-hmm. some things too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing that has been important is, um, well, if they're North Carolina-based, I think that calling offices of assembly people, even conservative assembly people, and that's the North Carolina legislature, um, and for your like representatives, and saying that you want this monument gone and that students shouldn't face charges because those people are the people that inform the board of governors. Correct. Mm. Alyssa. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's one way that people can uh, mobilize who are local or statewide and might not have direct ties to UNC. Um, Another way for people to support, and we've been really encouraging this across different affinity groups and uh, um, other groups, uh, maybe such as like a grad student union at different universities is to write statements of support mm-hmm. for anybody who has any sort of like position that gets a lot of traction to say, come out in support of us. Um, and then there's yeah. a fund too. maybe Alyssa, you could speak more to the fund. Yeah. There, there's a fundraiser account that originally began as a way to support uh, those that were arrested uh, since August and during August and September uh, during those protests, but now they've 
uh, graciously agreed to like use the extra funds towards uh, any legal support we need. Um, and so donating to that would be wonderful to help us with legal potential legal fees, um, those kinds of things. Um, and, and it kind of like depends who you are. So if you're, um, uh, what's our Twitter account, Danielle? Uh, it's strike down Sam. And I think that, yes, again, back to the point that this is an action and not a strike because we're doing Mm -hmm. the work. Um, strike down Sam also means that getting rid of the statue. So (laughs) just to clarify. And we'll, we will, all of this information is in the episode description. So if you're listening to this right now, it's Mm -hmm. very easy to find all of that information. Um, I, I just want to say thank you guys so much for coming on and talking about this. Um, you're doing amazing work. I, I'm not only, I mean, I'm, I've, as I mentioned, followed North Carolina politics for like as long as I have been able to read probably. Um, and I'm really hopeful. Um, what you guys are doing gives me a lot of hope, especially because it seems like this is, it's such a great example, I think to the left writ large, honestly, about, you know, the ways that a very explicitly anti-racist struggle can become or, you know, can can envelop um, this, what is also very explicitly a labor struggle, mm. you know, and the ways that we can um, make demands of power uh, that are both, you know, both labor and very, you know, very explicitly uh, anti-racist and um, I, it's just like such a such an honor to have you guys on it and oh, talk about the really, really great amazing. work for y'all. Yeah, we're, yeah we're so grateful for y'all I mean I think yeah. it means a lot that people are paying attention that's what we want we want a mm-hmm. lot of people to pay attention <laughs> and thank you so much for giving us this platform to speak about yeah. this yeah of course oh, of course <laughs> this has been great yeah awesome well cool <laughs> thanks for having us yeah thank you all right well, as always, uh, you can find us on Twitter at Season of the Bee. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We are anywhere you can find podcasts except for Spotify, which frankly is rude. They will not accept us. Rude. Um, other than that, though, iTunes, we're on SoundCloud, uh, all the little ones that people use that I don't know the names of. Um as always, uh, you can get merch at uh, com slash merch. Um, check out our Patreon. We have some really exciting stuff coming up in the new year um, on Patreon. So if you want to get in on that, now is the time. Um, you know, as always, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being patient with us on our uh, little week-long break for the holidays. We're excited to keep rolling with uh, some more content. Yeah. Rolling with the homies. Great. <laughs> no sorry, Laura. I don't know. That time I think a sorry was actually okay. Yeah, it was it was really <laughs> bad. I in my head I was thinking of um there's that one like nineties movie where she's like rolling with the homies, but it's like uh, the whitest girl like saying this. Anyway. Okay. You mean clueless? I do mean clueless. Thank you. <laughs> wow, this whole thing is just one big apology. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Love you both. Love you. Have a good week. Love you. Bye. Season of the bitch. <laughs>